This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, our salvation. And Father, it's uh, with very, very, very humble hearts that we come before you and worship you this morning and ask that you would absolutely glorify your name. Father, we thank you for uh, these songs this morning, uh, the vastness, the, the depth of the words, and we pray that uh, we would heed those. Father, as we um, look at your word today, I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts, God, that uh, your word would speak, and uh, Father, that you'd change us. Father, make our hearts receptive to you. And uh, Father, again, bring, bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> as you can tell, doesn't look like the normal guy today. If you're here visiting, please don't, please come back. <laughs> I like to think, you know, this happens a lot. I I filled in all over Southern Illinois preaching for people, and there was this, always this, you know, this kind of like sparse crowd thing going on, you know, and I figured out, well, this is what they call Pastor Appreciation Day. You know, I, after I get through, they really appreciate their pastor. So uh, I appreciate that. You know, when I need encouragement, I, I, I usually am always on, on Gary's doorstep, and Gary, bless his heart, he, he, he came to me today, and he said, we prayed for you this morning. I felt really, really good, and he said, and oh, by the way, if you blow it, it's not our fault. <laughs> and I, I felt really good then, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and, and do that. I, I had a rough start today. I, I, you know, when you get old, it's uh, glasses, wallet, keys, cell phone. Yeah, okay, and I always add knife to that, you know. Well, I don't have my wallet, and I don't have my knife. And so the good news is I can't be robbed because I got nothing with me, but I can't drive either. <laughs> so I'll have my wife drive me home, Jeremy, okay? Uh, so the point is that it's been a rough start. Hopefully we can uh, finish here. If you have your Bibles, uh, can you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 11? What do you know about expectations? Do you ever have expectations? This is the audience participation time. <laughs> Just shake your head. Help me out here. Okay, good. Expectations, you know, from my perspective, usually only go one of two ways. Really, really good, like, oh, that's the way I thought it would turn out. Or really, really bad, like, oh. I didn't expect that at all. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Well, that's kind of like today, okay? You come here and you expect this guy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <sighs> you got to love that. I mean, seriously, take a good look at this guy. Yeah. I don't know how you describe that. I was going with cute. Yeah, good. What do you think about that? He's good. Yeah. This is not audience participation time. <laughs> Shannon, cute, you think? Eventually, yeah. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> okay, altar call at the end, got it. Um, so anyway, you expect this guy to show up and preach, and again, for visitors, please come back. He's much cuter now. 
and you get this guy, okay? <laughs> it's like, great, we got homeboy today. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen anybody so excited about a sock cap with a bill? Really? I ask for that for, for Christmas. Really. So it's, remember, this guy or this guy, okay? And really the conclusion is, <laughs> that's not what I expected, all right? So that's, that's kind of the definition of expectations. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, kind of the vacation type thing. Vacate, meaning you leave, you get away, you think, I'm going to rest. And you kind, of have, uh, you kind of have this little thing in your mind, like, uh, well, you know, I need a vacation. You know what I'm saying? I need a vacation. And then you, you, you go here and you're thinking about this. Look at this guy sitting on the beach. And actually, the more you look at it, does that not look like Pastor Grant? Look at that. I mean, if he had some kind of red tint to his hair. Yeah, well, see, this is before the puking session, okay? This is what everybody sells him on, saying, look, Grant, you can sit on the beach, look at that. He doesn't have as big of arms, but I mean, he's close, he's close, okay? But when you get there, it's kind of like this, you know? Here I am, sitting on the beach, you know? And this is when you start throwing up. As I did. That was not my expectation of vacation, okay? Uh, the, 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 it could get worse. All right? If you throw up enough, that's really what you'd rather have. Lop my head off, yeah, and just bury it in the sand and just sit it right by my body, okay? Again, it's just not what I expected, okay? Uh, expectations can be just a little bit, uh, they can be deceiving. And the, the point here is that uh, that's in the Bible, too. There's expectations that we have, and we're going to look at that today because they can be tricky. They can be, be deceiving. And let me just remind you before you go very far, don't ever think that vacation means rest. It just doesn't. I mean, you may vacate from one spot to the other, but it's really not rest. And so we're going to look at that today uh, as, as we go through it. So uh, back in, uh, in, in April, Pastor Grant uh, talked about what kind of savior you need, and I'm going to tweak that question just a little bit for us today. And I'm going to ask you, what kind of savior do you expect? What do you expect in the salvation that he has brought to you? Well, Jesus broached that subject in Matthew chapter 11. So if you if you have your Bibles, turn there very quickly. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus broaches this subject. Uh, and, and so let's unpack this for just a second. What do you know about Matthew? Well, he was one of the 12, right? Uh, you know that uh, he was previously referred to or has been referred to as Levi or the tax collector, if you will. In fact, Matthew even refers to himself as the tax collector, okay? So uh, the Matthew that we see in uh, the apostles is the tax collector that we'll talk about in just a second. But basically, he wrote his gospel to who? Do you remember? To the Jews. Okay, so everything that he writes is going to be from a Jewish slant. So as best you can, when you read through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, think with a Jewish mind, if you can, for whatever you know about that culture, for whatever you know about uh, those folks, you need to have that uh, framework, okay, because he's talking to the Jews. In fact, he will make a lot of points in his writing about Jesus 
that he will not explain. They're strictly Jewish. And so he doesn't have to explain it. It'd be like us writing a book and writing it from a Western culture standpoint. You understand it, but somebody in the Far East might not. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he writes things and he doesn't explain some of the colloquialisms that he does. But you'll notice, too, as you go through the book, that he won't use the word or the name of God very much. Okay, that was held in sacred, uh, uh, sacredness, I guess. What I'm saying is they wouldn't write the holy name of God. They respected it that much. And so you will see Matthew refer to Jesus as the son of David, or you will see him talk about instead of the kingdom of God, he will say the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so these are some Jewish things that you see come out. Now, he wrote his book specifically to prove to the Jewish nation that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so he's speaking to his own folks, his own culture, and he's making this point, and his main purpose was just to demonstrate to the Jews that Christ is the king, he's the long-awaited Messiah, he is the son of David. Now, the one thing you have to understand about, again, Jewish expectations, we've talked about that term, is that the Jews expected a little bit different of a Messiah, didn't they? Their expectation of a Messiah was going to be one that came as a great political leader, one that came as a great military leader. You can see the almost the reproduction, if you will, of David. They wanted someone who was going to come and rescue them from the filthy Romans. They wanted a holy person. They wanted someone who would uh, judge the Romans, sack them, if you will. They had the national anthem ready to change. Take the key and lock them up. Okay, you guys know that song? No. Bumper stickers are already printed. Jews rule, Gentiles drool. Okay, that's who they wanted. They wanted someone who was going to literally put them back in a power station, okay, to where Israel was the feared nation and that no one would touch them. That's their idea of the Messiah. But the reality is Jesus comes revealing himself and he's shattering these expectations. It's not a Jew versus Gentile thing. And we'll get into this in just a second. But it's a hidden versus revealed thing. Okay. So Matthew, as he's kind of warming up and going up to chapter uh, 11 in, in uh, you know, the first part, you know, we read about his birth and his, his lineage. This meant a lot to the Jews. Okay, don't skip over that. He gets in chapters 3 and 4, and his ministry is beginning. And, and Matthew's writing this, and he gets to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying, you say this, but I say this. He's beginning to show his authority. When you get past chapter 7, then you get into uh, more of his uh, authority as he, as he has authority over demons and healing and on down the line. When you get into the second half of chapter 9, again, it's this crescendo effect. Jesus showing who he is, middle of chapter 9, he sends the disciples out. Basically, it's a trial run, okay? 
And, and, and this was really what he said in Matthew chapter 7. This was the crux of it. He says, as you're going, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was their mission, okay? There's a whole lot wrapped up in that, let me just tell you. Because when he did say this, he was giving them a dry run. And you think, oh, well, that's no big deal. We can do that. But really what he was giving them a dry run, he says, you're going to be rejected. Get used to it. There's work involved here. And you're not going to like it in the end. But you'll love me. So he sends them out. He gives them a dry run. And that's where we end up now in chapter 11. Chapter 11, it just seems like for me, as I was reading through it, Pastor Grant, it just seemed like it was this pause. It seemed like we've got this crescendo effect of of Jesus uh, demonstrating himself, proving himself, saying, this is who I am. And now you get to this point of it's just like, okay, I'm taking Israel's temperature now. He starts out uh, addressing John the Baptist and he addresses the crowds and, and you look at their reactions, but really it's, it's a nice flow because he's kind of stopping uh, this whole thing and he's turning and he's looking to this Jewish crowd now. Okay, put yourself in their spot as a Jew. And he's making these bold statements. I mean, these are probably some of the most bold statements coming out of Jesus' mouth of who I am. And he starts playing this game with them, really, that says, who am I? Who am I? I'm not who you expected. And the confusion begins to run deep. The first thing you see in chapter 11, before we get to our our verses, just to set all this up, because it's important. He talks about John the baptizer. And don't you think it's kind of mysterious, I use the word enigma, that John the Baptist asked him this question. He says down there, uh, he sent word to his disciples in, in verse 3. He says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And if you read in John chapter 1, in verses 29 through 34, it's like John has it nailed. John, John gets to hear God. God uh, John gets to see the vision of uh, the dove, the Holy Spirit, descending on him. Uh, John was the guy that says, I can't even tie his sandals. John was the guy that says, uh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, and then he baptizes him. And then he asks this question. Do you find that strange? Don't ever forget the context of where John was. John was in prison. Okay? Now this prison is not the same as what ours are. Okay? It's not three hots in a cot. All right? When it's cold outside, you are freezing cold. When it is warm outside, you are sweating, you're hot, the stench overtakes you. There was no one out there promoting your human rights at this point. He was chained to the wall like an animal. And at best, the only thing really working in him was his mind and his love. What I find fascinating is not that he asked the question. What I find fascinating was that he wasn't worried about how to get out of jail. He was worried about Jesus, are you the one? 
That's all that was on his mind. And so he asked the question. Interestingly enough, you know that he had to go through some sort of checklist in his mind. And he was a Jew. Remember that. We talked about Jewish expectations. Do you remember that? So he's going through his mind. He's saying, sent from God. Check. Miracle worker. Check. Disease healer. Check. Holy person. Check. Savior, as best he could understand it. Check. Military, political, leader, full of justice to sack the Romans. I'm in jail. There's one check that's not checked. So don't be too hard on John the baptizer. You see, Jesus came humbly. And don't you know that John knew this passage? And Isaiah say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense. And that, that means God's going to pay back. That's what recompense means. And he will come and save you. And this is going over and over in John's mind. Not who I expected. Are you really the one? Did you notice how Jesus answered him? He finished it for him. He will come and say you, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for And in other words, Jesus said, Your answer is found in the same place that you got your question from in the same passage. And basically to the Jew now, listen, to the Jew who knew this and had expected God to come and for God to recompense, pay back the filthy Romans, okay? And Jesus said, tell John that you see all of these things happening. Yes, I am him. Don't miss this. John got it at that point. But Jesus quoted the scripture that I think he knew John was rolling over in his mind. And he said, John, finish the passage. What have you seen? And that's the word that he sent back to him. In other words, he answered his word with the very scripture that he had the question from. And basically, goes on to say that blessed be those who don't stumble over this fact. And let me just tell you what they were stumbling over was the fact that he wasn't a political leader. He wasn't a military leader. Okay? He didn't come to judge the Romans or the Gentiles. He goes on in verses 7 through 15. I'm trying to set this up for you because it's important. And he's talking to the crowds. And I want you just to look at verse 7. And, and they went away. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning him. Who were the crowds? I'm going to say that it's mostly Jews. Matthew's writing to the Jews. I think the, mo the majority of the crowd were Jewish. And so he's speaking to these people in their own language. And he pays John uh, the baptizer the highest of compliments. But then he quotes Malachi 3 through 1. And here it is. Game on. We're playing. Guess who I am? And he quotes this. And can I tell you, when he quotes Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare uh, your way before you. 
And then he, he goes on to make the statement, that's who John the baptizer was. And there it is, the very first question in the game, so who am I? He's talking to the Jews, okay? So who am I? They knew this passage. Why? Because they depended on it. They wanted the Messiah. They waited for the Messiah. They banked on having the Messiah to rescue them. But rather, Jesus comes as the tender servant, Messiah. He wasn't what they expected. And their expectations were getting in the way. But there was more. He goes on down through 17 and 19, and basically all he's saying there is, folks, no matter what we do, or no matter what I do, you're not satisfied. All right, that's basically what he's saying in verse 17. You know, I played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and didn't born. He says, it doesn't matter what I do. You aren't satisfied, okay? That's really what he's saying. They're, they were disappointed. Their expectations weren't fulfilled. He said, John the baptizer uh, came neither eating or drinking, and you said he had a demon. I come eating and drinking, and, and you call me a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of the taxpayer. Uh, taxpayers. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> Tax collectors, okay? You can't be satisfied. It doesn't matter what we do. You can't be satisfied. And then he goes on. And can you see he's just hammering it at this point? I'm not meeting your expectations. And he, and he, and he just he lands on them one more time. And he says, here's, here's, here's some more evidence. And he really hits them hard at this point. Because he talks about these Jewish towns, uh, Chorazin, uh, Bethsaida. And, and even his hometown, Capernaum, where he, he based most of his ministry. And he said, I've, I've done all of these great miracles in these cities, yet you've rejected me. And then the ultimate slap in the face. Let me just tell you, again, you have to think like a Jew. He said, you know what? If I'd done these works in other cities, such as Tyre and Sidon and, and Sodom, they would have believed me. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you. But I want you to know that these were Gentile cities that were known for their wickedness. And in fact, they didn't exist anymore. They'd been destroyed. And Jesus said, if I'd done all of these things that I did in your town, they would have repented. And those cities would have still been here today. Can I tell you to the Jew... That was a huge slap in the face. The Gentiles would have gotten me. Even the filthy people in Sodom and Gomorrah would have gotten me. But you didn't. That was huge. I mean, he had lambasted them now, both barrels. And he's playing the game. Who am I? Are you beginning to see this binary switch? You either get him or you don't. Do you see that? There's really only two types of people. We'll not go into that world, but there's believers and non-believers. That's it. Okay, 100 years from now, I'll stand on that statement. And the reality is he's separating them out here, okay? There are only two responses to Christ. And while I think these people were fascinated and they were curious about Jesus, make no mistake, it's, a far, it's far different than repentance and faith. So now let's pick it up. Chapter 11, verse 25 through part of 27. 
Again, remember who he's talking to. At that time, Jesus declared, okay, now this is out loud in front of the Jews. Listen to what he says. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Let's stop right there. This was a stunner. Okay? This is the lightning rod now. This literally, as a Jew, standing there listening to Jesus, this is a stunner. Their mouths dropped at this point. Okay? He's praying to the Father. Don't for a second think that they don't know who he's praying to. They do. And he makes the statement. He says, first of all, that God, the Father, has given him all things. That means all authority, all wisdom, all power. Who am I? And then he goes on to say, no one really knows him, Jesus, except the Father, Okay, now and Matthew's going to use the word, remember, Father. He's not going to write the word God, all right, because he's a Jew. And he says, no one really knows God except the Son. You have to know that these people were spinning out of control at this point. He's talking to them. And the reality is, is he's, he's, he's saying, look, John the baptizer was the Elijah you're looking for. All of these miracles that you've seen. Now I'm making this declaration right in front of you. He's given them both barrels. And it's these lofty claims that Jesus is making. And can I tell you, it was offensive. It was offensive. Don't ever think the gospel is not offensive to a non-believer. It is. But let me just tell you, they, they desire it. They really do. It's offensive. And these people, there were some of them that were, were offended, but he's saying, look, I'm not a politician. I'm not a military leader. But he makes these clear revelations that are very offensive. And, you know, to the Jews, they can say, well, you know, you can, claim, claim, you can claim to be a carpenter, but the creator? You can claim to be wise, but the embodiment of wisdom? You can claim to be uh, lowly of heart, but equal with God. You can claim to be the son of the living God. Can I tell you, these people were offended. There were these lofty expectations of himself that he throws out there. And it's offensive unless what? It's true. It's offensive unless it's true. And this is what Matthew was writing to him about, to the Jews. This is true. This is who he is. And here's how it happens. Back up. Verse 25. 
I thank you, Father, talking to God the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Did you catch it? All of the things that he had talked about before, the cities that had rejected him, the people that uh, you couldn't satisfy them, no matter what. No matter what he said, no matter what he did, they were not going to be satisfied that he was the Savior. He'd worked all of these miracles, and he'd gone to all of these Jewish cities. How come they didn't get him? There it is. But really, I want you to understand how close it was bookend there because he tells them, okay, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise guys and you've revealed them to the humble people. And then he says, okay, no one really knows me except you, God. And God, no one really knows me except you. And look at verse uh, 27 then. When he talks about all of his power and wisdom being handed over to him. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. And, slow it down. Anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. You can call it a repetition. You can call it a bookend. Whatever it is, he said it twice. Do you see it? There are only two types of people. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does it seem like a theme change there? Okay. We've talked about all of these guys that have rejected him, the Jews. And all of a sudden, he, he makes this statement. Well, it's really not. In fact, it flows very nicely. The way I like to look at it is, he's talked about these guys on this side, and he just flips the coin over, okay? Now he's going to talk to who? The people that get him, right? To the, re, to the revealed. Can, can, can we use that word? So it's not really a theme change. He's just flipped the coin over. And these are people, too, that are still Jewish. Okay, keep this in mind. They're not Americans. They're Jewish. And in their culture, they still had the same expectations, but all of a sudden, these shattered expectations they, that they have of the Messiah, they're getting. They see the miracles, and they go, oh, that's him. They see that John the Baptist was now the Elijah that was crying in the desert, Okay. Making the, the, the uh, preparing his way. They see the scripture coming to life. These are the humble, faithful people that their, their expectations are shattered, but their mind is changed now. And they see him because he's revealing himself to these people. They are the believers. At this point, folks, your ears need to go up. Here's where your ears need to go up. As a believer, he's speaking to you now, okay? Put the, put the other stuff aside where he, he's hammered home about all these people that have rejected him. Your ears need to go up because the message takes full bloom as he addresses those who he's revealed it. Look at verse 28 again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Stop right there. 
Jesus begins revealing himself uh, to the Jews. And this was something special as Matthew wrote it. If you read over in Luke, Luke's writing to the Gentiles and Luke has the same crescendo effect. Okay, as Jesus begins revealing himself to the rest of the world. He talks about it in, in chapters 4 and 5. He begins to validate who he is. He begins this power over demons. He has power over disease. He has power over nature. He begins collecting his disciples at this point. And, it, and, and in chapter 5, he walked up to Matthew, who's writing this book, okay, the tax collector, and says what? Two words. Follow me. Now you think, well, that doesn't mean much. Oh, yes, it does. You see, to Matthew, who's writing the book, he knew what it meant to follow Jesus. First of all, Jesus was saying in Luke chapter 4, I have enough power in my words that people will follow me when I say that. Do you get that? Matthew, the tax collector, picked up and poof, here we go. One of the twelve now. And Matthew's writing this book. He understood what Jesus said when he said, come to me. There was power in those words. Why? Because he did. There's a, there's a deep connection there that, that Matthew knew what it meant. It was a life-changing uh, message when Jesus said, come to me. In fact, it's the key. It's the key that unlocks God's greatest gift and our greatest need plus our greatest desire. He says, come to me. That's a command. It is not a suggestion. Do you get that? A stop sign in Albuquerque is a suggestion. This is a command. He said, come to me. He didn't say, go and learn. He didn't say, maybe in a week or two. In fact, the way it's written in the Greek, it means immediately, now. Okay? It's a command that says, come to me now. And to whom? And this is, this is where it really gets fun. Because he doesn't say, go to Moses. In fact... Let me just lay it out there. He didn't say come to God, did he? Read it closely. He says come to who? Who's speaking? Jesus. Okay, so this is, whoo, Jews are upside down right now. Okay? He says come to me. He didn't say go to Moses. He didn't say go to the Pharisees. He didn't say go to the temple. He didn't say go to your ra favorite rabbi. He didn't say go to the law. He didn't say go to tradition. He didn't say go to whatever doctrine you've decided that you like the best. He didn't say go to the church. He didn't say go to some other man. He didn't say read this book and you'll get it that somebody else has written. All right. He said, come to me. Okay, and then getting clearer than that. Who am I? Come to me. When you come to something, that means you leave one thing and you advance to another. You get that, right? You leave one thing and you go to another. That's what it means. And Jesus is saying you need to leave your legal labors. You need to leave your self-reliant efforts. You need to leave your sins. And you need to come to me. And there was, there was a result, wasn't there? Look at it again. Come to me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will what? I'll give you rest, okay? So the first thing Jesus says is to these poor, to the wretched, to the tempest-tossed, to the humble, he says, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Why rest? Let me just tell you something. <clears throat> you never understand some words until you explore the opposite of it. It's the opposite of rest. Tempest-tossed, toiling, busy, worried, restless, rejected, okay? 
You never need rest unless you've experienced the opposite. Do you understand that? I don't need rest unless I've, I've been wrung out. And he says, I'm going to give you rest. Why rest? Well, I think there's two reasons. Never overlook the obvious. Number one, because he knew they needed it. Okay? He knew that they needed it. He was offering to this revealed group of people, an unsatisfied group of people who were exhausted from the religious works, who were burdened by the law that they could not keep perfectly. They were running this spiritual race with no finish line. They became Jewish hamsters on a wheel. Okay? And Jesus is calling them to rest. They had this messed up expectation somehow or another. I can please God with all that I do. Okay? That I could somehow be like a Pharisee and, and God would be happy with me. And Jesus said, nope. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. Well, the interesting thing, not only was he made the command, but he gives them the how part. Look at verse 29. This is the how. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let's stop right there. Does taking on a yoke sound like a work order to you? Well, actually, when you think about a yoke and in an agricultural uh, sense, uh, you know what that is. It's not the middle of an egg. It's um, it just came to me, Gary. I don't know. We call those yokes, too, don't we? Is that right? I'm not much of a cook. All you have to do is show up at my house and I tell you. Um, the yoke was this thing that they, 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 they put on these uh, a big uh, ox things, ox things, <laughs> animals, and um, they, uh, they, they, they usually uh, w w would uh, uh, put together a stronger animal, maybe with a younger animal to teach them, okay, uh, as they pulled and did the work. And, and um, uh, they, uh, they, they would, you could get more work done with two animals as opposed to one, okay, you got that point? And so they understood uh, yoke. They got that agricultural thing, you know, uh, with, with joining uh, two animals. But l let me tell you something else. In the Jewish culture, yoke also meant something else. Okay, so now listen to this. Whenever it was a technical term used in the context of, of Judaism, and each rabbi had their own yoke. Okay, they had their interpretation of the Old Testament and their teachings, and they would have a group of students that uh, they would teach the Old Testament to and their interpretation of how that applied to them. And guess what that's called? Being yoked to a rabbi. Okay, now Matthew doesn't explain some of this stuff. Why? He's talking to Jews. Okay, they got it. And he says... Yoke yourself to me. Do you see where Jesus is going with this? First, he says, come unto me. And then he says, take my yoke. And then thirdly, he says, what? Learn from me. Do you see that Jewish connotation in there? He says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Again, he's explaining I'm not a, a military leader. And the final outcome was what? Look at it. I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. Wow. Look at the final part. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can that be? How can you put a yoke on me and then say that my burden is easy 
or that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, let's wrap it up and let's look at that quickly. These guys uh, were saying, oh, if you put a yoke on me, uh, how, how's this going to be such an easy deal when I, when I work and work and work to pl- try to please God? I try to keep every law. I try to keep every uh, uh, command. I'm, I'm going crazy doing this. But yet you're saying I'm going to get rest. Well, oddly enough, he'd already explained that. Look at this, Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. Okay, now get this straight. Who's fulfilling the law? Jesus is. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Who's doing that? Jesus, okay? Now, start adding this up. Jesus says back in chapter 5, He came to fulfill the law. He came to satisfy, and here it is. Here's the gospel message. Here's Jesus right in the middle of it. Here's why He came. He came to fulfill the law for you and I. Do you see that? He came to be the perfect one. Not only did he come for them then, but he came for us now. He's able to pay our price because he's done all of the work. He's fulfilled the law because we couldn't. Now, do you begin to understand, get it in your mind, why the yoke is easy and the burden is light? Paul said in chapter... uh, Romans chapter 8, 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh and in the order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Who did that? Jesus did it. Look at the next two words. In us. Do you see it? Jesus fulfilled the law, and it's in us. It's his righteousness that he imparted to us and gave us. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies could be made his footstool. For by single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He was the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because he kept the law perfectly for an imperfect people, and he imparted that to us. Do you see that? You know that. He fulfilled the law for you and I, a single sacrifice. And then I love what the, pa- the passage says. He sat down. Why did he sit down? It's done. It's finished. Yes. There's the gospel message. For them then, for us now. Do you understand why the yoke is easy and the burden is light and that you find rest for your souls? Let me tell you, for the revealed, this is not an obligation to God. I hope and pray you're not here because you feel like you're obligated to be here for God. If you do, you've missed it. Jesus is saying this yoke is not an obligation. Forget about all those other yokes. It's not a Jewish obligation. It's not a vacation. It's rest. 
which is beyond your expectation. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. So what's our point? What's our role? Pastor Grant last week said it. It's to behold. It's to behold the work that he's done. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he said, And we all with unveiled face. Who's the unveiled face? Those are the ones he's revealed himself to. Is it not that he's talked about? Okay, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what we do. We behold the glory of the Lord. As we're yoked to Him, we behold Him who's transforming you and I. But here's the warning. Here's the warning to you and I. Watch this. Again, Pastor Grant last week. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1-3. through Oh, foolish Galatians, just slip your name in there. Who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly uh, portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There's your question. Are you so foolish having begun the Spirit by the Spirit? Uh, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's the warning. The, our problem is we keep wanting to add to what Jesus has already done, fulfilled, and said. He's saying, rest. Finally, there was a second meaning. I'll give you rest. And here it is. And then we're going to get you out of here so you can beat the Methodist to the barbecue place. <laughs> Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. Okay? Listen. In Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his what? Rest. Still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they'd heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Oh, by the way, those who listened, that means those that have ears to hear. There's your revealed group. For we have believed and entered that rest. And down in verse 8, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would, have, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also rested from his work as God did from him. The kids going into the promised land. What did the promised land represent? Rest. Heaven. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's fulfilling the promise land. He is fulfilling that. How do we get there? By works? Nope. Read it again. Verses 2 through 3. For good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. There it is. For we who have believed enter that rest. Legalism says, I'm here every Sunday. Legalism says, I'm at every small group. Legalism says, I'm going to join a Bible study, the women's Bible study. Legalism says, I'm going to join the men's Bible study. Legalism says, I'm going to send money to the New Mexico Dream Center. And if you really want to please God, you'll volunteer for missions overseas and tell somebody about Jesus. 
Jesus is saying, you're burdened. You need to rethink that strategy. If I was politically correct, that's what I would tell you. Rethink that, but I'm not. Stop it. You're laboring. You have a burden trying to please God that Jesus has already done. Trying to add to what Jesus has done. What's your expectation of your salvation? I'm not saying that there isn't work. He's already proven that to the disciples. He sent them out on a little warm-up mission. Oh, yeah, that's part of it. But it's a heart issue. This isn't an earning issue. Don't miss this. Get your hands around it. Your salvation was not earned or kept by an obligation that you think you have to God. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Our proper response. Now listen to me. We're going to close. Our proper response to the Savior who's borne our sins, who's done all of the work, invites us to be yoked to him, to behold his mercy and his grace. And here it is. To rest and worship him. You see that? That's our proper response to a holy Savior. But then... What else would you expect from a gracious and merciful God? Don't miss the rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know that you've commissioned us to go and tell. You have told us how we need to live. And Father, I pray that that is something that flows from our heart as a proper response to you, not as a mindset that we need to add to what your son has already done for us. Father, the cry of our heart is that you give us rest. Father, we need that more than anything. Rest for our souls. Father, we need that. We thank you that you sent your son to give us that. As we sing your praises before we leave, Father, honor your name and bring glory to your name as we prepare for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand.